Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family, where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips, and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. Today's guest is Australia's leading NLP trainer and host of Success Resources Women's Program, The Seed, which is the largest success events company in the world. She has over 25 years experience transforming people's lives from all around the globe and she has guided many people to personal breakthroughs and massive business and personal success. Being rescued off an island here in Australia with her two boys from a helicopter after finally finding the courage to escape a long-term abusive relationship after over a decade, she knew that the universe had so much more better things planned for her. Frightened and lost at the time, she had no clue what would happen next, however found a way to move from being a victim mindset to taking responsibility to living a life by design. She's had three near-death near, near near experiences and significant health issues that at one point in her life, she was unable to walk and was in a wheelchair. She then went on to build multiple businesses in and out of the network marketing space and has now built a multiple seven-figure coaching and training business. She is a thought leader who has personally worked with people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Cohen Ray, Jeffrey Slater, and Kate Schiffey-Gray. So please help me welcome the woman who went from selling perfume made from rose petals to her neighbors at the age of five to now having spoken on global virtual stages with people such as Tony Robbins, Sir Richard Branson, Deepak Chopra, Grant Cardone, and so many more. And Australia's leading NLP trainer, my friend, Miss Elizabeth Ann Walker. (laughs) <laughs> that was a challenge for you not to talk that long, right? I know, right? And just to, you know, make my husband happy, it's Mrs. 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 Elizabeth Mrs. Walker. Just sounds cute. I, I left that in when I checked it because it would be funny to say <laughs> that right <laughs> I love it. Okay, so how we're going to do this, I've got a couple like rapid fire questions I'm going to hit you up with. Boom. Just so people can get to know you really, really fast. Okay, yeah. then we're going to dive into some epic shit. You cool? Yeah, let's All do right. it. Okay, where did you grow up? I grew up in North Rocks in Sydney and Fingal Bay in Port Stephens. Love it. Where do you live now? I live now in Broad Beach Waters on the Gold Coast. What's your favorite food? Oh, mangoes. Mangoes. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have any type of superpower, what would it be? Oh, definitely invisibility and flying. They come together. Yes. It's not, a, it's not two, it's one. Both. Yeah. Yes. I love it. My favorite word. Yeah. What is your X factor? Uh, I am Elizabeth Ann Walker. <laughs> that is my X factor. No, my X factor is I am an expert at cunning linguistics. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that my words create my reality. And I have created a reality that I really love. Cunning linguistics. We're going to go into that. Okay. So we'll come back to it. Who's someone that's inspired you to get to where you are and why? Uh, my grandfather. Uh, he was an incredible man that was a captain in the Australian Army through World War II. And his tenacity, drive, and discipline are what has inspired me to live the life the way I live it. I love it. I would love to chat to you about, so you were rescued 
off an island. Like, I, I really want to dive into that because that to me says so much about, you know, a life through adversity, facing like some crazy shit. Like, you've definitely three near death, ex- near, I don't know why I can't say that word, near death experiences, you know, safe from this abusive marriage. So, I'd love to go back to that time and hear what was actually going through your head and where, how, what had to happen for you to get to the breaking point, I guess, for you to actually go, enough's enough. I'm creating the massive change you know you had to make. Sure. So, uh, let's start. I had a baby. I had another baby. Uh, we, My husband at the time uh, became depressed and was unable to work and I was taking my kids to daycare and leaving them in daycare all day and night. I was a nurse at the time and so they would go to evening care. So, they'd be in daycare from 2 p.m. till 11 p.m. while I did an afternoon shift and my husband wouldn't come and pick them up. They would just stay there until 11 when I would pick them up. Uh, and he was a bit low, feeling down, started doing stupid stuff um, and finally lost his job. And when that happened, I thought, well, you know what? We went on this holiday to an island one time and we actually had a good time. What if we could go and work there? Uh, and he was a nurse as well. So I got us both jobs as nurses on the island and we moved to the island Now, at that time, there'd been several affairs, there'd been a lot of abuse, and I was just like, I just want to go somewhere that makes him happy, so let's just go there. So, we packed up our life, and I worked out how to homeschool my two kids, and we moved to an island in the middle of the Whitsundays and had life on Club Med, funnily enough, which was pretty fun. It was living on a resort. My kids had a great life. They got new friends every week as the, you know, um, people who were traveling changed over, And it was really great for about four weeks. And then everything kicked in again. He was drinking a lot. He wouldn't come home. When he came home, he was uh, angry and upset. And what was really interesting is that my life when we lived in Sydney was fairly easy to control because there was work, there was traffic, there was kids, there was family, and everything was tightly controlled. When we lived on this island, even though there was nowhere to go, When I was on shift, he was off. And when he was on shift, I was off. And that meant that my life on the island was actually more free than it had ever been before. Mm. And so I got to have my own friends and do my own stuff. And I learned how to do flying trapeze and became really good at that and actually nailed some tricks that if anyone who's listening to this knows flying trapeze, there was some pretty cool tricks that I could do. Uh, So cutaway halves and, you know, doubles and things like that. So learned how to do that and formed my own group of friends that were completely independent to my husband. Um, The time, like it just got worse and worse. The alcohol, the drinking got worse and worse. The yelling, the screaming got worse and worse. The pushing and shoving got worse and worse. And eventually I started getting scared that actually something was going to happen to me or my kids. And so I started packing stuff in boxes and hiding the boxes under the bed. So you knew you had to go. By then I knew I had to go. Yeah. I couldn't leave. How come? I was living on an island and there was no way off and he'd taken my ID and um, hid it in the safe and changed the combination to the safe. So I couldn't, if I got off the island, I would have got to Hamilton Island and then the only way out of there is a plane uh, or a boat, which I needed ID to get on. So I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, so I rang his parents first actually and said, you know, this isn't working. I need you to come up and take him and get rid of him and, you know, or help us all to get home so that we can be normal again. Uh, they didn't believe me. They just wanted me to send the kids to them. And I was like, no way I'm not sending them. Uh, 
And then eventually I rang my mom and dad, which was really hard because, you know, I was kind of the golden child. And I rang them and told them what was happening and they rang the police straight away. And then I went to the, uh, what was it, HR on the island and said, I need money. And they said, oh, he's already taken all your money out for this month. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that's like a lot of money, Um, my pay and his pay, and he's already taken it for the month and it was the beginning of the month. And it was like, okay, this is not good. Uh, The police rang me several times and said that they were planning something, that I wouldn't know what it was or when it was, but that I should think about getting a bag packed Um, and that I could always ring them if I needed them to come earlier. So I was like, okay, this is really weird. I don't know what's going on, but okay. And then that night I walked back up to the room after I'd helped someone who'd nearly died get onto CQ Rescue. By the way, CQ Rescue is an amazing service out of the Whitsundays that helps rescue people from islands. Got someone onto one of their choppers, got back to my room and he was in bed with someone else uh, in my bed. And I was like, okay, that's the last time. I'm not doing it again. The next morning he found one of the boxes under the bed uh, obviously yelled and screamed, carried on. Uh, and it then became obvious that if I didn't leave, something really bad was going to happen to either me or the children. And so I rang my mom. I said, whatever they're doing, just make it happen. Like I need it to happen today. So they, the police rang me and said, when is he off the island? Because we can't get you out of there if he's there because it's just going to be drama. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, actually, tomorrow he's going off island all day, so hopefully it'll be okay. And they're like, ring us as soon as he leaves. I'm like, okay, so I rang them. 40 minutes later, a chopper arrived. I was told I could take 15 kilos. So my whole life got packed into a bag. And, of course, at that time I saved the things that were important to my kids, like their drawings and their schoolwork and their teddy bears. And I had nothing of mine anyway because it was all locked in a safe and he'd deleted all the photos and done things like that in order to hurt me at the time. And so I just grabbed my two kids and jumped on a helicopter and uh, got taken to a refuge in Mackay where I was looked after. The process of DVOs, um, like domestic violence orders and things like that was started. And then we got... uh, in contact with my parents, which I wasn't allowed to do. So they were petrified that he would come and kill me because at the time a family with the same last name who had lived around the Mackay area, every time a wife had tried to leave the family, they'd been murdered. We didn't know that at the time, but that was why they were on high alert. And he wasn't part of that family. Right. So uh, we got onto a commercial flight to go back to Brisbane, back to my parents. And we had to get on the plane first, but initially we were escorted to the airport in three different police cars. So me in one, my son in one, my other son in another. Um, We got into the airport. We were locked in a secure room. We boarded the plane first and we had to have everybody step up to a camera that was in the airport and we had to identify whether it could be my ex-husband. So we had to look at height, weight, facial expressions. And if there was any chance that it could have been him, they were excluded from the flight. So four people didn't fly that day because they could have potentially been him. So it was about 9 o'clock at night. We left Mackay. We got back to Brisbane at about 11.30. And again, everyone got off the plane. So you can imagine my mother, she's waiting for this plane. With, you know, all this drama's happened. Is her daughter safe or are her grandkids safe? And, of course, we had to wait till everyone was off the plane to be police escorted in and through the airport back to mum and dad. By the time I got there, I was just exhausted. Like I was shattered. I didn't know who I was. The kids were fine. They'd been 
you know, fed well on the plane mm. um, and Virgin Australia looked after us beautifully on the plane and continued to look after us for years after. And we got there and my mom just grabbed the kids and sort of looked at me and didn't know what to do. So I got in the car and my dad was there and he goes, okay, I know you're really tired, um, but you've actually just been uh, convicted of kidnapping and we have to take you to the police station. And I went, what? And he goes, the police in New South Wales have just rung me and your ex-husband has reported you for kidnapping the children and they want to charge you, so I've got to take you to the police station and they know where we live, so we may as well just go there now. So we drove from Brisbane to Lismore Police Station because mum and dad lived in the hinterland up near Byron and um, walked into the police station and the police officer on duty said, okay, it's cool. I can see that you and the kids are fine and that everything's okay. Just go home, come down and make a report in the morning. So they put police guard on the house for four days uh, and the next day we went down to the police station. I described my side of the story. The police were fine with that. They cancelled the charges. And then the day after that, um, I went to withdraw money from my account to find that all the money was gone from our main accounts. Um, he'd also drawn down two lines of credit. So I was now $350,000 in debt and had this nothing. This is insane. What, what was going through your head at the time? Like, what did you believe to be true about you? Because through all of that, like, you know, the emotional abuse and so many people listening to this right now either probably know someone going through that or maybe themselves. So, what was actually, what did you believe to be true about you at that time? Because this would be really cool to sort of deconstruct that as to how you've gone from that to Yeah, so it was a really... <laughs> it was a really interesting position because I'd left a job that I was really successful at to go and live on the island. I became successful at trapeze and was kind of really well liked on the island because I was the nurse and I was nice and I had two cute kids and it was this real juxtaposition of being loved in the day and hated at night by my ex-husband and it it became this sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing where one minute I felt amazing and the next minute I was a nobody and nothing and nothing that I did, said or cared about mattered. Um, at the time that I stepped on that helicopter, I was a shell. Mm -hmm. There was nothing in me. There was nothing out of me. I was just a body doing the motion that I knew I had to do to survive. So, knowing what you know now with spending years and years and years now as an NLP trainer, so you don't just like you haven't just taken the class, you, you train the, all the people in Australia. Yeah. Um, what would someone do in that in a similar position? So perhaps like, and this could be related to so many different things. If they are in an abusive relationship and they've just left, or perhaps they've just feeling like at a rock bottom sort of place where they're like, "How do I rebuild from here?" What are some tangible things that you would that you know now that people could actually start doing now to get them out of this rut? So the first thing I'd say is when this feeling first hits, is not when it's bad. It first hits where you start questioning yourself, like. Why is this happening to me? Why are they treating me like this? And my advice is at that point, just run it by a friend and go, hey, is this normal? Because even though my parents had the perfect relationship, I didn't see that it was abnormal in my own. And my parents literally never argued. Like they were madly in love for the whole time they were together. 
Um, and so the arguments that happened in my marriage, I'd never seen how to deal with an argument because they just never happened. And so if there's something that you think maybe is not normal, ask. That's the first piece of advice. Once you've actually left, if you're feeling empty and you're feeling not whole, the first thing I would do is get around some people who absolutely can show you love. And you might be thinking, well, nobody loves me. You might be sitting there listening to this going, I actually don't have anyone who loves me. Get along to some kind of community group that does that. Find a community group that wants to love you. Go somewhere where it's free. You know, there's plenty of free things like free breath work, free meditation groups, things like that where the people there are capable of loving you. And the one thing I did is um, after I got back because the trauma had been going on for so long, all my hair fell out, I um, lost about 25 kilos, so I was really skinny. And I just said to my mom one day, I said, I just need to go and get a massage. And she said, oh, really? What for? And I said, I just need to be touched. And what was interesting is my family, super loving, super caring, um, really beautiful, but not touchy-feely at all. And I'm like massive into the feels. Yeah. And so I just went and got this massage and I cried and cried and cried on the table while this woman touched me. And it was the most beautiful touch I've ever felt in my life because it was so nurturing. Um, so that's the other thing is if you're feeling a bit crappy and you're feeling empty, go and get someone to touch you if touch is what inspires you. Um, and if not, get someone to talk to. Reach out, ask the questions. Find me on Facebook, message me, I'll talk to you mm. if there's no one else. Like, you know, it. just get around people who actually care about people. So you said before you used... What did you say? Was it quantum linguistics? Is that what you said? I said cunning linguistics. Cunning linguistics. So, talk to us about that. And also for the people who, who are sitting here going, you keep saying NLP, what is NLP? So, I'd love to talk about how you've able to use linguistics, cunning linguistics to create your your life by design. And also, like, what is NLP? Sure. It's like a two different way. Okay. Let's so talk let's, about linguistics first. Oh, linguistics first. Cunning nice. linguistics. Okay. Cunning linguistics. So, that's really just a play on words. Um, <laughs> for those of you that don't get it, I suggest you try spelling it, um, and see what comes up in Google. Uh, so what it is, is the ability to use words in a way that create a positive reality rather than using words in a way that create a negative reality. So things I used to say about myself before I left the island were, why am I not good enough? What am I doing wrong? How is this my fault? What are the things that I've done to make him hate me, yell at me, argue with me? What have I, you know, why am I such a bad mother that my kids are being naughty and them being naughty makes him? And so I was constantly dissing on myself. And you will create what you say. Mm. It's just like when you're driving down the road, if you don't look for yellow cars, you won't notice them. But if you set an intention to look for yellow cars and you focus on finding yellow cars, you'll find thousands of yellow cars as you drive down a freeway. And that comes from a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, which is programmed to seek out that that you're looking for. And so if that part of your brain is seeking out, out why you're not good enough, why you're not um, a great enough mom, why you're creating all these arguments, if you're always looking for the why, you'll always be disempowered. Why is a disempowering question? Is there a way to find that? Is there any way to kind of intercept these thoughts or even become aware that you're even doing it in the first place. Yeah, start asking different questions. Use different language. So, what, how, 
what if? If you ask, how can I, instead of why is this happening to me, you can say, how can I create this differently? You get a whole lot of resources. It's impossible to blame yourself when you say, how can I do this differently? The answers have to be positive and they have to be action taking. Whereas if you say, why is this happening to me? Then you're going to do things like, because I'm not good enough, because I am not pretty enough, because I'm not skinny enough, because I'm not like, you'll find a reason that's about you when you ask that question. Right. Okay. So this, and for the people hearing this going, how can words actually, like, how, how does it even make sense? How can your words create your reality? Well, have a think about it. And um, this is a really simple thing that I often use with people is think about the concept of money doesn't grow on trees. A lot of people learned that when they were a kid. Mm. You know, their parents said to them, money doesn't grow on trees. Be careful. Save your money. And the truth is that that's just a saying. What it's created, though, by people saying it repeatedly is a program in people's minds that is that money is difficult to get, that it's not freely available, that it's really hard to get, and you've got to work hard for it. And as you and I know, Morgan, money does grow on trees. All you need to do is start planting seeds. Mm -hmm. And if you plant enough seeds, you'll get enough money and it'll grow on trees easily and effortlessly. And this program is what holds people back in life. It's that program of, you know, it's hard work. It has to be hard work. It can't be fun because money doesn't grow on trees. And, you know, once you break that program and you realize that actually it can, all you're doing is changing your language. You're going, actually, yeah, money grows on trees. Money's easy to get. Money's easy to find. And at first it may feel like you're faking it. Right, so yeah, a bit it's delusional, like, eh? yeah. You may you may seem delusional. You may be going, "I'm so great," and the same thing applies to if you're wanting to lose weight. Start talking about yourself being 75 kilos if that's what you want to get down to. I'm just guessing because you know I've been bigger than that, and that's my goal weight. But um, I, hey, I want to be 75 kilos. I'm going to be 75 kilos. I am 75 kilos, even if you're not. And you keep telling your brain that your brain will find a way to create the reality that you're seeking because of that reticular activating system. It's looking for how can I make that dial on the scales go down? Oh, cool. I'll increase my metabolism and it will do it. Your brain's an interesting tool that only does six things. It sees, it touches, it tastes, it hears, and it smells. And the only other thing it does is talk to itself. And if it's talking to itself saying, hey, we're not going to eat that today because we're getting down the dial down to 75 kilos, you've got far more chance of losing weight than just going, hey, I want to lose weight. Yeah. This is so like, this is so freaking powerful. And because this is one thing that I learned years ago and I use every single chance I can throughout my day, throughout my life to create reinforced uh, comments or mantras even. And I think I, I replied in our group chat today, like somebody said something to us and I, uh, something went wrong and I, and I said, everything is always working out for you. Yeah, Exactly you how it should. And that's the thing that I carry all the time. Like, yeah, everything's always working out exactly how it should. Everything's always working out for me and I get every single thing I want. And when I have this kind of belief, it, it makes me take different kind of action because when I truly believe that I get everything I want, I look for different ways on how I can get it. Exactly. And it forces me into being like being at cause for my life versus being like victim, be like, oh, why is this happening to me? Such mm -hmm. a disempowering thing. Yeah. How about for like, how can somebody start to, because if you've carried this baggage for so long and you truly do identify yourself as being not good enough or not worthy and all this crap that society puts on us, how can you start to dissociate from that old identity or get rid of like past trauma? Yeah, so we don't want to fully dissociate you from that identity. We want you to work with that identity initially. 
but start challenging it. Is there is it an identity you intentionally created for yourself? Or did you allow someone else to do that for you? You see, the whole system is set up to create robots. Um, robots work well. They pay taxes. They do things on their, you know, they create roads and schools and jobs and all that stuff works well if you're created as a robot, which is something that is programmed. So just start asking the question, where did this belief come from? When did I actually choose to create this belief? And you may find that you don't even remember that it was well before you were born, funnily enough. Mm. And you may find that you do remember. And when you remember, ask yourself, when else have I had this belief? And you'll find that it happened somewhere between the ages of zero and seven. That's when all our beliefs are programmed. And so you've created this belief and then you've lived your life according to a belief that you thought was true. And then instead of having a go at yourself and picking on yourself, actually get excited that you've found where the root cause of this problem is and then work towards eliminating it, starting with your language. And you'd probably have seen this a lot doing what you do. When somebody does identify themselves as one thing or they believe in a certain way, exactly what's happening in the world right now, people either believe in getting vaccinated or they don't. Mm -hmm. And when you go against or you challenge someone's belief, same as religion, challenge someone's religion and then get so offended by it. So, how can somebody start to, I guess, loosen the grip of being open to perhaps there is other ways and doesn't have to be just one way? How can somebody start to, like if they're listening to this going, no, I just actually do believe I'm shit. I can't do it. I've already tried 10 things and I just can't do it. How can they start to maybe potentially be open to the idea that there could be more? So, what's really interesting is it's so simple. Brush your teeth with the other hand. That's the very first thing. Let your brain work out that it can do it. So, just put your toothbrush in the other hand, brush your teeth with the other hand. Get in and out of bed a different way to what you normally do it. So, if you get in on the right-hand side of the bed, get in on the left-hand side of the bed. If you go from the top of the bed, instead go from the bottom of the bed. If you sit down... Is that down, how you get out of bed? <laughs> crawl out crawl out from the bottom of the bed? <laughs> Maybe when I'm wasted, I crawl in from the bottom. <laughs> I am... Um, no, but things like if you sit on the bed and then swing your legs in, instead of doing that, jump into the bed. Like just do it differently and show your brain that it's capable of change. And as you do those little tiny simple things, what you'll find is that your brain recognizes that you're actually attempting to start something new. And so it will start being a little resistant at first. Mm -hmm. So recognize the resistance and go, okay, that's cool. I'm still going to keep brushing my teeth with the wrong hand or I'm still going to get into bed doing a cartwheel or whatever it is, however you want to do it, do it differently and you'll start to recognize that you can change. So then change becomes a possibility, right? So your brain recognizes that. With your identity, it's probably not yours anyway. It's probably something someone gifted to you unknowingly. You know, our parents don't usually set out to hurt us, but some of the things they say does. So just start challenging it and do it differently and go, okay, everyone thinks that, you know, I only wear black. Cool. I'm going to wear a bright pink t-shirt today. Or everyone thinks that all I ever do is wear Nikes. I'm going to go buy a pair of Adidas today. Uh, do something different. That's all that's required in the beginning to show your brain that you're capable of change. Do you believe that everybody can actually create the change and live the life they want? I believe that with the right support network, yes, everyone can do it. Uh, I also believe that having you become like the five people you hang around, right? This is an old school saying. 
And if you're hanging around the same old tired people that are doing the same old tired things, then you are going to be the same old tired person. Mm. And how about, I, I imagine, so we, we talk a lot about switching tables. Okay. So, yeah. for, so for the people listening that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about pretty much like changing groups, right? You're sitting at one table right now and identifying that, hey, this table over here looks wealthier, happier, sexier. They got more shit going on. Potentially, I want to make that leap. How there's so much fear attached to that for for so many people. So how how because I guess it's the world of uncertainty, right? What's your advice on helping people? I guess switch positions and and leap into where they know they need to go to a better environment. See, the thing is, is that one of the human needs or one of our deepest desires is the need to belong. And so, if we currently belong at a certain table and we feel as though we're accepted at that table, and we feel comfortable that we understand the rules of engagement of that table, then we tend to stay at the table. Because when we leave the table, first of all, we go to no man's land and we hang out on a table on our own. And it can kind of be scary. And then we go to the new table, and it's like, whoa, there's all these people here talking about stuff I don't understand, doing things I don't get. How, how the hell did they quit their job and still make money? Things like that. And so you tend to go back to the old table and go, you know what, even though I don't really enjoy this old table anymore, even though I feel as though it's stifling me, I'm going to stay here because that other table is really big and scary and I don't know if I can be that. But here's the trick. Go sit at the new table and just listen. Just listen to start with. And listen with your eyes and your ears. Watch, listen, learn. And then one day, be brave enough to say something. Mm. And you may find that the people at the new table go, oh, no, that won't work. Do it this way. But what's really cool about that is they're giving you an alternative. They're not actually criticizing you. They're saying, hey, we've tried it that way. It didn't work. Do it this way. And then all of a sudden, you've got a new table. And sometimes it hurts to leave the old table because sometimes you love the old table. Sometimes the old table is your family and you absolutely love them, but they're not serving you anymore and it's time to leave. So just make that decision and off you go. I know you talk and you teach a lot about perception is projection, right? And how whatever we're seeing is actually things inside of us. I'd love for you to sort of explain that a little bit more for people to understand because I, I truly think if people really grasp this, there'd be more love in the world, there'd be more understanding and people would be happier, I truly believe. So do you want to dive into that a little bit? What does that yeah, even mean? Yeah, 100%. So... Because of the way that we're programmed and because of the way life looks, feels, sounds, hears, tastes and, you know, the way we talk about it, the labels we give it, because of that, the only way we can see anyone else is through our own lens. It's through the lens that we identify the world to be. And so we only see ourselves. Therefore, anything that's problematic in our world, if we fix it up in ourselves, we get to fix it up in the world. Now, some of you might be thinking I'm really crazy right now, but let me give you an example of this. A lot of you might be looking for the ideal partner and someone's told you you write a list of what you want in an ideal partner. And that's cool because you've written down, you know, I want tall, hot, sexy, you know, pretty eyes, pretty hair, whatever it is. Do people make lists like that? That sounds like me. <laughs> like, I guess. Look, I'll take it. So they write a list and then they go searching for the person that matches the list. 
What they don't realize is that there's a really easy hack to that. Write the list and then become the list. Because if you are the list, other people that are the list will be attracted to you and will come into your vortex and end up in your world. And that's how you get the ideal partner. So all it is is looking at it and going, how is this me and how can I create me in a better way? Mm. And then those things will come into your life. And then how can you go about actually identifying what is potentially off, for lack of better words, inside of you so you can clean it up to fix up your reality? Oh, look, for that, you're going to have to come to NLP. (laughs) Well, (laughs) good segue. What is NLP? NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. So, neuro meaning the brain, linguistic meaning the way that we utilize words and programming as in the programs that are in our mind that we've had since birth and that our parents gifted to us in our early childhood. So, what we do is we look at the way we're utilizing words and how that can change and create change within our mind in order to produce a certain result or feeling or an outcome. Uh, Within that, we go into depths of how you've created your current reality and then we look at ways that you can deconstruct that and build it in a way that you're really happy with what it is and where your outcomes are actually on point. And you know this, Morgan, you've been in the room. Um, Once you make a decision that you're going to do something, it just happens as soon as you get into alignment. And I know this happened for you yesterday where you made a decision on something and I'm not going to tell everyone what it was, but you made a decision on something yesterday and today you actually got that thing that you wanted. And I think that's awesome. And that's exactly what how this works. Yeah, I love it. Um, are there any like misconceptions on NLP or going <laughs> to NLP or anything that you want to kind of address so people can understand this better? Absolutely. In the olden days, in the olden days, NLP was very rah-rah sales and some people used to think it was manipulative. And first of all, I want to challenge the word manipulative. When you I build like something... Manipulation. <laughs> I manipulate all of you guys listening. Yep. In case if you haven't noticed, I manipulate you every single episode to believing that you can have, be and do more and you your old world probably just won't make sense anymore. So I manipulate them all the time. So they're all used to it, by the way. Yeah, cool, right? (laughs) So when you get Play-Doh when you're a kid, you manipulate it. And people think that that's a bad thing, but actually manipulation is creation. What in the old days, what used to happen is there was sales and techniques of manipulation that used to encourage people who were unaware to do things they didn't want to do. That is not what we teach at Elizabeth Ann Walker Training and Coaching. What we teach is an integrated approach to NLP. So it's how can I embody the qualities that I want in my life in order to attract those who have those same qualities into my life and how can we then work together to create change in the world? See, a lot of people go out thinking, hey, I want to change the world. Start with your own world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our biggest project, right? Oh, yeah. I love it. Liz, this has been amazing. So fun hanging out with you, chatting. We'll probably have to do another one. Oh, yeah. Um, Where can everybody find you on social media and and check out uh, all all your training and everything you got? Cool. Uh, On Instagram, Elizabeth Ann Walker Coaching. On Facebook, Elizabeth Ann Walker Training and Coaching. Uh, They're the two biggest platforms. And then on Facebook, Elizabeth Ann Walker uh, is my personal Facebook. That is the best way to get in contact with me. I love it. Okay, I've got one final question to wrap this <gasps> up. Final question. Dun, uh, dun, dun. Ready? Yeah. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give her 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? 
Wow, that's an interesting question. I was very different when I was 18. Uh, and it would have been join, join the praise and worship team early because in those days I was fully into God and the church and all that. So it would have been join the praise and worship team now so that you can understand what it's like to stand on stage in front of a massive crowd uh, because that would have made a whole lot of stuff that I've done since then a lot easier. I love it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.